It's your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back for the final show of the week ahead of a very busy week next week. Lots of twins stuff next week, and that's an understatement with special special podcasts before the playoff series and during each game of the playoff series, in addition to all of the regular shows next week. So look forward to that. Some good stuff coming up next week, but certainly today as well. Let's talk some Wild and Wolves today. Sarah McClellan from the Star Tribune uh, covers the Wild. We'll get to we'll get on here in just a few minutes to talk about that team, to talk about their prospects for the season ahead. Camp just opened a week ago. Not a ton of roster turnover this year for the Wild uh, for a number of reasons, but plenty of intrigue nonetheless as they try to build on playoff appearances but not playoff wins from the last few seasons. Also got to get to Lions and Packers. I think we've determined a clear favorite in the NFC North, and it is the Detroit Lions. That was the narrative going into the year, and it seems to be playing out. They look pretty good in dismantling Green Bay 34-20. Last night on Thursday Night Football, we'll get into that a little bit. A Twins note at the end. First, though, what did I miss? Like I said, we're going to talk some Wolves today because they had their media day on Thursday. I was able to get over there for a decent part of it. And five things stood out to me while I was over there. First one being Timberwolves president Tim Connolly was asked all sorts of stuff. He was the first one to go, uh, the first one to get asked about kind of everything off-season-wise, expectation-wise. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to pin people down on what their expectations were, but he made a pretty clear statement, at least in the beginning, about what should be kind of the goal that this team needs to achieve to take a step forward this season. It's to be better than last year. Now, we've got to win a playoff series. It's been a, it's been way too long since we've had success in the postseason. So, um, you know, I don't think it's we have a specific win total. I think we'll see more parity in the Western Conference than we've seen in a long time, um, especially when you don't see a lot of teams that um, tanking is the wrong term, but I don't think as many teams are as aware of draft status as this year than maybe a couple uh, last couple of years. So as long as we're better than we were last year, but let's be honest, we have to have success in the postseason for us to be taken seriously. That's a far cry from Carl Anthony Towns proclamation of championship or bust last year after the Rudy Gobert trade. Towns definitely more subdued uh, in this, uh, in this setting. We'll get to that in a minute, but you know, he is Connolly is laying the groundwork for his expectations. And that is, Hey, this is a team we put together thinking that it would be a contender in the West. Now you got to get breaks. You got to have things come together before you can declare somebody a championship team. And I don't think the Wolves are there yet, but his expectation with the roster they've assembled is that they will be competitive and take that step forward and win a playoff series. I think that's a reasonable goal. I don't know if it's going to be an achieved goal, and I do wonder what happens if they come short of that goal or are coming short of that goal as the regular season goes along. But that is the stated goal right now from Tim Connolly, and I think it is a reasonable one to expect this year, even after last year's relative disappointment. How are they going to get there this year? I got a chance to ask head coach Chris Finch kind of, you know, he, he lamented a little bit in the in the early part of his uh, of his news conference on Thursday at Media Day about how this team is still looking for some chemistry, still trying to find its identity. And so my follow up to him was, well, if, if you, you know, if you look at this team, what is its best identity if you are able to draw that out of them? Here is what he said to that. Oh, I think we should be a you know defensively led. We have a lot of individual defenders. Certainly, um, you know 
Rudy, uh, the back line, um, you know, offensively, um, I think uh, we got we have to be way more mindful of our spacing and figure out how we can best you know kind of utilize Cat in that way. Um, but we just you know we need to be kind of a little bit tougher, more fifty-fifty balls. I don't think we got enough of that last year. Um, just get a little bit little bit grittier um, and play a little bit bigger like a big team should. Pound the glass both ends. Um, you know, be a little bit more physical in the paint. I think Wolves fans would welcome some of that toughness. I don't think this was a particularly tough team last season. Interesting to hear him say they need to play bigger because they are going to play big. But big doesn't just mean size. Big means, you know, you are imposing your will to a certain degree. And that goes to the defensive end in particular. And that was the most interesting part to me, that this team's identity, he wants to carve it out of defense first. And I think that's a good place to start, obviously, if you have... Jaden McDaniels and Rudy Gobert, but it's also interesting that Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, who have some defensive chops, particularly Ant, but don't necessarily do it consistently or haven't yet, those are your two kind of highest paid max players, um, you know, offensive stars, things like that. Your identity, though, according to Finch, is going to be built defense first, not with those two guys in their offense. Maybe that flows naturally from the defense, and maybe he's just trying to emphasize the uh, emphasize that piece of it but interesting to me that he wants to build an identity around defense first and not offense speaking of ant the third thing that caught my ear on uh, on thursday was ant talking about a couple coaches he came into close contact with at uh, at the world cup over the summer where he starred for team usa of course we know about steve kerr he was the head coach there and he told an anecdote he's told many times about how kerr um, kind of motivated him a few years ago in the pre-draft, pre-draft process to get better, said he wasn't working hard enough, so that's been something he's carried with him all the time. I found his comments about Eric Spolstra, uh, the Miami Heat coach, even more interesting. He was also part of that staff that he worked with this summer. Here was Ant on Eric Spolstra and what he learned from Spolstra over the summer. I get how he gets his team to play hard every night. Um, he comes in with, when it's his night to do scout. I'm on the USA team. He he comes in with a lot of energy. Um, he's getting straight to the point, and he's just a, a great coach, man. Great has great plays. I think the overall theme for Edwards, he talked about it. Connolly talked about it. Finch talked about it. Was that they need they need him to be at a certain level of compete and focus every single night. And I think he brought a lot of energy last year, but there's some nights where he just didn't quite look like he had the juice. And sometimes those were the nights against the teams that weren't the best. And a lot of those times the Timberwolves lost those games last season probably cost them dearly in the standings if they're just even a little bit better against the worst six teams in the league last year. They're certainly not in the play-in. They might even be a home playoff team. So that piece of it definitely a part of his growth and his maturation and his learning curve. Number four, Carl Anthony Towns. I thought he had a little bit of a down energy, and I don't want to make too much of it, right? Because he spent 10 minutes with the media. Maybe he didn't want to be there. And, you know, frankly, I wouldn't want to be there necessarily either if I was, you know, this is kind of this, this imposed 10 minutes of mandatory interaction with us. But Cat, when he's, when he seems like he's in, um, when he's in a place where he's excited, you can tell. Yesterday, his energy was pretty low. A lot of short answers to questions. Really, the only times he got excited were when he was being asked about the World Cup, you know, the basketball over the summer, playing for the Dominican, playing for his home country, things like that. Not a ton to say about the upcoming season. Maybe just kind of keeping expectations 
to a spot where you know he, they're they're manageable. But just something to watch for. I, probably it was just maybe it's just one day, maybe it's just ten minutes. I don't know. But his energy wasn't just me who noticed it. it. His energy on Thursday seemed to be a little off. Wondering what that was about. And again, could just be didn't want to, didn't necessarily want to be there. Didn't want to uh, didn't want to to be doing what he was doing in that moment. Or maybe he's just having a day. We've all been there. So I don't want to make too much of it. But it was something I observed and other people observed as well. Finally. Got the sense from being in the building that the Wolves are very closely monitoring all the TV stuff that is swirling up with Bally Sports, Comcast, all these deals out there. Um, and in fact, after I was there on Thursday, some breaking news from uh, from New York uh, from the New York Post saying that Bally Sports or Diamond Sports, that the parent company, has reached tentative one-year agreements with both Comcast and DirecTV to to keep their carriage on those channels but that they are proposing as part of their bankruptcy reorganization a pay cut to the NBA and NHL teams of up to 20% for their contracts. Now, that would be pretty interesting to see how that played out over the course of a year, the course of contracts. They've got 15, I think 14 or 15 NBA teams. They pay them about an average of $40 million. So if you're talking about a 20% reduction, that could be, you know, if they're all getting paid equal, that'd be that'd be about $8 million per team. Now, the Post did say the leagues were leaning towards taking that deal. Um, but it sounds like all of this is very short term. The, the Post quoted an anonymous source saying, this is a, reorganiz- a reorganization that will become a liquidation. So... Not sure what the long-term future is. The Wolves do have three years left on their Bally's contract, including this season. Um, so where they go from there, I'm not sure. Uh, how far they get to that through that contract, if they have to pivot at some point to something else, whether they go to a model, you know, that the like the Phoenix Suns or Utah Jazz are kind of going to with a you know going over more over air TV, giving access to games to more people, but maybe for a less less revenue up front with hopefully capturing more of that revenue stream down the road. I don't know where it's going to wind up, but it does seem like they are at least lurching towards a temporary solution to this where if I had to guess if all of this is going to be equal this year, the Wild and Wolves would be on Bally Sports for at least another season, and we'll see where they get to You know, when all these things are finalized and when we get to 2024 and beyond. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. It's September, so we must be talking Minnesota Wild. I already talked Minnesota Timberwolves on this show, so we might as well continue with the theme. Sarah McClellan is here with me today. does a great job covering the Wild for the Star Tribune. As much, Sarah, as we like to think about the Wild and the Wolves as winter beats, they're they're here right now. They're, they're starting. You've been covering camp for a week now. The preseason, like, they start playing – preseason games like 17 minutes after camp starts it's like just get on the ice drop the pucks let's go play and then this the real season opener is only a couple weeks away right like we're it's coming up fast and it doesn't it always it always like seems surprising but then it's it's always like well why are we surprised it happens the same way every year 
Yeah, it's going to be here before we know it. But no, you're right. Camp is uh, a weekish in. Preseason action is underway. It is full on kind of the tune-up mode for the season and kind of what you where you'd expect, right? A team to be a week plus in. You know, there's been cuts. Um, the team is, you know, going to get down to its numbers and its group. Obviously, the longer this goes on and, yeah, the prep is underway. We think about this year's roster. I mean, we were talking before we started recording, but there wasn't a whole lot to do necessarily this year because because of some of the their you know their internal mechanisms and not having a ton of cap space, and also probably because they probably like a lot of what they have right now because they've they've been a playoff team these last few years and they seem like they've made some strides along the way. Uh, but there are some some interesting kind of new wrinkles to this year, and you've written about a few of them already. I mean, number one, probably at the top of the list, is the breakup of the Brodeen and Dumba pairing, which have been together, you know, more or less for you know most of a lot of the last decade. Which is kind of weird to think because you know when guys come up as kind of like a a group of young guys, you never quite stop thinking about them as young. But those guys are not young anymore. Now Brodeen is going to be playing. Sounds like with a younger defenseman, Brock Faber. How do you feel like he is going to adjust to that? How do you feel like the team will will adjust overall to life without Matt Dumba? Well, obviously, Brock Faber is in this position because of how well he played last season. And obviously, it was a very small sample size, just a couple of games in the regular season. But then for him to play all six playoff games against Dallas and not look out of place at all, it's clear that that poise and the maturity that he showed and being able to go from college to playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs it explains why he's getting this opportunity to not only be on this team, but be in the top six and be in a prominent role alongside Brodeen. Because if you think of Brodeen and how effective he is for this team on this blue line, he faces a lot of difficult matchups and he plays a lot of heavy, rigorous minutes, minutes where you're in your own end and you're playing against, you know, the Connor McDavid's and the Nathan McKinnon's of this league. Um, so I think that may be the maybe the big question mark or, or how to see Faber's evolution this season is how he handles those situations. Clearly the wild can adjust, uh, you know, especially at home when they have that last change, if they need to get into more of a matchup type situation, maybe you see like a Brodeen with a Jared Spurgeon, we can see that potentially happen. But I think right now looking at the skill set that Brock Faber brings, it makes sense why those two can get this chance to find some chemistry, but handle those assignments. You know, the big thing with Brodeen is he defends so well because he skates so well. And that's also been the read on Faber's game, yeah. uh, how smooth of a skater he is, but also how active and effective his stick is. Um, you know, that's so helpful in dislodging pucks and breaking up plays. And so if you think of that, having an active, effective stick and having the mobility, that really seems like two ingredients that would obviously go hand in hand um, on a pairing, you know, with Brodeen in the type of situations that he'll likely face at five on five or potentially in a penalty killing role too. Um, so on ice, that makes sense. That's maybe how the Wild will at least try to adapt initially without Matt Dumba. I think, though, we'll obviously have to see, you know, the other aspect that Dumba brought was the leadership and yeah. being a voice for this team. And so how does the Wild evolve from that? Um, that's that's probably something that maybe, you know, maybe takes more time. Maybe somebody else filled that void. Maybe it's just more by team. But he do definitely had a big presence, you know, on this team, being here for so long. 
Um, and the way he played too, I think it was, it was a style that brought energy to the team. I think it could, could, you know, lift the team up, motivate. Um, where do they find that now? Obviously Marcus Foligno is still an alternate captain, Jared Spurgeon's captain. So it's a lot of the same leadership team. Um, but where does that, where does that, you know, contribution that Dumba made does somebody else fulfill that or, you know, is it more of a by committee, maybe leadership group that takes over? I think that's the other part too, and how the team moves on without him. It's not just on ice, but he was obviously a big part of this team off the ice as well. Interesting to think about Faber and just, you know, what did he play? Two regular season games right after he signed or after he, you know, after he came here from, from the Gophers, like straight from the NCAA title game to that, straight from that into the playoffs and, you know, I talked to Bill Guerin at the state fair. That must've been about a month ago. And it was like, you know, you try to mention to him that maybe they're putting a lot on Faber's plate and it's like, Nope, he can handle it. Like they, they seem like they're very confident, even in this kind of like small sample size of what we've seen. They, they must like their, their Intel must just be like, he's, he's ready. Like they have, they seem to have a lot of confidence in him because they, they need him, but they also feel like they, they can trust him. I've heard that as well, just how ready he is for this. And it probably also speaks to the pedigree that he has, not only, like you said, whatever he's accomplished and been through collegiately, but you have to remember when he's represented, you know, the United States and in international competition, the big stages, he's played on those. Now, to be fair, that is not the Stanley Cup finals. That's, you know, that's not even the same necessarily as a Tuesday game, you know, in December. Um, but he's been, you know, in pressure packed moments. And I think that that can trigger muscle memory, right? Like that, that can just build experience. And I think it's obviously led to what looks like the poise that I mentioned, the maturity, um, the way that he's been so seamlessly so far been able to fit in, it speaks for something. And that's obviously you know, to your point, seems like something that Team Brass has really identified in his game. And thus, he's getting this opportunity to be, you know, in an important role for this team so early in his NHL career. Now, if we shift to the forwards a little bit, again, a lot of people back this year, they didn't do a ton in the offseason, brought in kind of more depth than anything. Um, But if we look at the bottom of you know, the bottom of the roster, maybe it's not fair to call it the bottom of the roster, but you know, like if we're, you know, even looking outside the top nine forwards or even, you know, looking outside the top six forwards sometimes who, who, I mean, early in camp, we can get, you know, we can fall in love with certain players who have one good game or something like that. But who do you think is looking like those guys who will be filling those spots or who who do you think they have kind of the the trust in right now that they're going to make up those third and fourth lines right now? Well, I think camp is going to decide, obviously, some of that battle. And it it is a very limited battle. Like you said, when you look at who's back, the contracts that are on the books, I mean, it's really one forward spot, which, you know, may obviously look right now that it's trending toward Marco Rossi to fill out those four forward lines. He obviously made the team out of camp last year. He has another year of pro experience under his belt, um, more familiarity there. So if, if, if he solidifies this four line, 12 forward group, who is that extra? If they keep an extra too, which is, you know, not always a point that needs to be made, but because this team has such little space under the salary cap, 
they may be in situations throughout the season where they're not keeping an extra forward. Um, but, it, you know, in the event that they do, they need that extra forward who are in the mix. And I think so far right now in camp, it's easy to pick out um, the candidates, especially through their play. Sammy Walker, Jujar Kara, and then obviously Vinny Letary. They've all, um, I think, made strong showing so far in camp. In the preseason, they've scored. Um, they've obviously been getting games and face time, I think, to show what they can contribute. I think a lot of times, though, you know, especially with this team and, like we said, kind of maybe how um, solidified the roster at this point, I think a lot of it will be role-based. It isn't necessarily who's going to score the most goals the rest of camp to win a spot. Um, it probably is that depth-supporting role potentially if it is for a 13th forward. And so is it maybe someone more like a Kara who can be kind of a PK defensive specialist? Um, you know, the Wild has really identified it and, and mentioned how strong he's played, you know, with his stick on the puck. Um, obviously, Kara scored as well. He was that late signee um, right before training camp. He had yeah. a lot of NHL experience. But somebody who can play kind of that specialized role to kill penalties, be strong on the forecheck, be a disruptor down low, um, but just kind of be steady. Whereas someone like Walker, and we saw it too last season when he was called up, he, he has that nose for the net. He has looks. He takes them. He obviously um, put up quite a few goals in the minors last season with Iowa. That might be a little different than that fourth line, you know, needing somebody to fill in type role. So I think that's the evaluation that goes on, especially too with call ups, because it very well could be a situation where this team starts the season with 12 forwards on the roster, maybe 13. Um, but again, I think this is a very good opportunity for the team to see what it has with its depth, when it's going to need to make call ups, when it's going to maybe need to make replacements into the lineup and seeing who maybe fits in what role and what they have there. And I think obviously bringing in the likes of Letary and Kara just bolsters that depth and gives them some more options because they didn't make a lot of changes to this forward group over the summer. They didn't need to. Mostly everybody was signed or re-signed. Um, but just I think that's what camp will showcase, just maybe where that depth is and how they could best utilize it in the season. And they gotta keep Sammy Walker. He's Faber's roommate now. So they gotta <laughs> they gotta keep him together. Like Brock's gonna be lost. He was to, he was on the podcast like a couple months ago or he was talking about how they they even cook. They started cooking and he was like very proud of that. Then I was like, well, what are you guys making? He's like Honestly, it's like the same stuff every night. So he's he, there. They're, I'm kind of joking, but there, there, there is something to be said for someone who's got that kind of bond. I could see Walker playing at least a role at some point this season, but you're right. It, it is a lot of it situational. And is that really a fourth line player versus someone who can come in as an injury replacement or something like that? If something else happens and they need depth elsewhere, um, you know, I guess it does come down to kind of maximizing what they already have. And when you look at, you know, the kind of especially the top six the top six forward group like where can they where can that where can those groups evolve is it consistency is it you know health is it you know f the the pairings or how that how they fit together and work together like what what do you see how do how do they maximize what's been you know some pretty good you know some pretty good top nine depth along the way 
Yeah, we'll probably see some familiar combinations. You know, Ryan Hartman back with Kirill Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello. Um, obviously, we all remember how effective Marcus Johansson was with Matt Boldy late in the season and with Joel Eriksson centering them. Um, can they recapture that chemistry? Can they be as effective as they were for six weeks over now a six-month season? Um, so I think there's questions to be answered there. But also, I think, too, the power play is, is a big question mark as well. And a lot of those players are factors with that. Um, so I think that's a way to try to get more improvement and more production out of this forward group um, is to see how they can click with the power play. That's been obviously a big focus through camp. Uh, new assistant coach Jason King has obviously uh, been involved in that and, you know, obviously trying to get this unit in a rhythm and get some reps. We've seen that a lot through practices in camp, but I think there is ways to just kind of see to your point to health. Like if this is a healthy team, what can they accomplish? What's that potential? Because I think that was a big, what if ending last season, you know, what if Erickson Eck didn't yeah. break his leg? What if Kaprizov didn't miss that month? with that leg injury and was able to come into the playoffs with some momentum in his game, or at least being in the lineup consistently. Um, I mean, health is always, always a factor, but, you know, I think we'll see, especially coming off of that type of series, that type of ending, wondering what if, um, how the team is motivated to, to maybe show what they are capable of when they are at full strength. So we talked through the top two lines. We've talked about some of the battle at the bottom. What what what's the third what's the third line now then? Is it I mean Felino obviously and then what else is on that third line right now? We haven't, I don't believe, seen it deployed yet in a preseason game, but in practice we've seen Marco Rossi, Center, Felino, and and Freddie Goudreau. Okay. Um, so that could be obviously an option at that position. Goudreau is very versatile for this team. Obviously, he can play in all situations, but he can play up the middle, he can play on the wing. So we've seen that um, you know, be very helpful for this team. And I think that could be an interesting dynamic as well, because you have kind of that edge, that forechecking pressure that Felino can bring, um, you know, with the savviness that a center and Rossi, you know, has been touted to have with his pedigree being a first round draft pick, the success he's had in his career in junior. And then obviously um, the player he's been showing as a pro with Iowa in the AHL. And then, like I said, Goudreau's versatility, um, you know what you get with him in terms of the work ethic, every shift, being in the right place at the right time, being smart. So I think that could be an interesting combination for this team. I think, you know, one thing that's important and it's been stressed already in the preseason is just this team needs to be a North-South team and just playing straight away hockey and yeah. a lot of it too is based on work ethic and you know there are obviously talented you know players on this team Kaprizov obviously uh Boldy there yeah. are you know pure goal scorers but I think this team still very much wants to predicate its style and its MO on its work ethic and being a tough team to play against and just having that be what teams expect when they go against the wild is that it's going to be a tough night and they work. So a lot of that too, I think is part of the identity they're trying to craft, especially with this type of lineup that they have when so many players coming back. Well, some of that's predicated on how good of a goaltend, how good the goaltending is. And it was very good 
largely last season. Those the two they had last year back this year, but maybe just a different feel to it, a different texture to that because Flurry going into his what twentieth season now in the last year of his contract. Gustafson signing that deal in the offseason. Then you've got Wallstead and the Miners. Like it's an interesting goalie dynamic this year. Definitely different than how the room started last year, I would think. You know what? They've already said that with these two goalies coming back, it's going to be a win and you're in type situation. Um, you know, I, I think a lot gets made about goalie workloads and what's the right number and is there a starter and is there a 1A or a 1B? And it's it's just been flat out you know, performance is going to dictate starts. And so I think that message has been very clear. I think then, you know, I was talking to Philip Gustafson recently. He said, that's, it's perfect. Like, you know, if that's the way it's going to be, you know, your play can decide that for you. And, you know, it's better than a situation where it's just a clear cut starter. And even if that player struggles, you know, the other, the other goalie can't get in the net because that's the starter. That's the number one. So um, I think that's been very clear and it worked for them in the past. And, you know, you saw that just last season, the fact that they were able to roll out two goalies and that have that be a position of strength for this team, especially Gustafson having as strong of numbers as he did. Um, I think they've been very clear with their intentions and how they expect to handle that position. And if that can be that steady rock for them, like it was last season, it certainly, you know, sets them up better to have success um, in front, knowing that that is an area, you know, a position that they can just count on and know what they're going to get on a nightly basis. For sure. And they've had that for a lot of years. It's just been kind of a rotating cast of characters as to who, supplied that um, you know final thing as we think about this year not a lot of changes we all know about the Suda Parisi buyouts that really hit last year this year and next year but just kind of looking ahead to future caps they do have potentially a little bit more space next year I was kind of surprised to see that but a lot of that's predicated on do they keep some of their pending free agents like Zuccarello's a free agent after this year Hartman Felino, guys like that and obviously Flurry. like does that make this an intriguing year in terms of like how they could approach the trade deadline, how could they approach the offseason if they do decide, hey, you know, we want to pivot a little bit from some of this core, especially as they get kind of towards the back end of the the buyout penalty years. It'll be interesting for sure. I think contract years always are. And so, yeah, they're going to have some decisions to make. So will those players and in, in trying to decide their futures. But I think even those players aside, if the cap is going to go up as anticipated, as projected, I think $4 million, that will give them, you know, a little bit more wiggle room, a little bit more flexibility, which they didn't have this summer. As you can see, it was a very meticulous off season for the team in moving the money around and signing and distributing the money, um, especially, you know, even like a Pat Maroon trade. Um, they had, they were obviously very calculated in what they had to do. That's, Probably not going to change, obviously, because these buyouts are going to stay on their books at a hefty price tag for another season. But there could be a little bit more flexibility. You're right. Next offseason, how they, you know, decide that probably a lot maybe depends on this season and how these players perform, who decides to come back, who they're able to bring back. Um, a lot of questions, a lot of intrigue. Um, so as much as it is a familiar look, a familiar roster, um, I think there's obviously still some question marks to decide and um, ways just to kind of, you know, pay attention, keep an eye on, because there's obviously um, still, I think, a key year for this team. You know, there isn't they weren't able to spend a lot of money. They didn't change a lot with the team. 
But then again, that's still the team that's coming back that's been pretty competitive these right. last few seasons. So I think they're in an interesting situation for sure. I think they are too. They've been kind of able to kind of straddle this kind of this area where, you know, they knew they were going to have penalties, but they were able to, they've been able to kind of manage the cap pretty well and stay competitive. So, you know, in theory, their best days are ahead of them, but they, you also don't want to lose that momentum. That's why this, that's why this year maybe feels important, like to kind of keep that momentum going to not, to not miss the playoffs, to maybe advance and around things like that. I feel like you're going on an upward arc even before uh, you get all that money back and get to spend all that, all that extra money that, that that's, uh, you know, that's hitting the cap right now for Parisian Suter in a couple of years, they will actually be able to spend that on players. Imagine that. It feels like this year could really set a tone and it might have a lasting impression for sure. Yep. Well, we'll see how it all unfolds in a couple of weeks. Sarah McClellan, appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Good stuff from Sarah. The Wild did win 4-2 to two in their third preseason game on Thursday night, beat the Avalanche. Less than two weeks away from the season opener now against the Panthers on the 12th of October. And again, a lot of uh, a lot of questions still with this team, a lot of depth questions, a lot of can some of these, you know, top two, top three line players take a step forward and who's going to be here next year? I think those are some interesting questions because if they decide, like Sarah and I talked about, if they decide to kind of go a slightly different direction and not retain some of this salary and some of these players they have, they could have at least a little bit of cap room to work with next year, not just two years from now when the Parisian suitor buyouts come off the books. So something to watch for this year if things start to turn one way or another way. There are levers they can pull after this season to give themselves a little bit more room and go after a certain type of player beyond this season. Let us finish with the cooler. A couple things quick. Twins officially uh, the number three seed in the AL. That was a slim, slim chance, but they lost to the A's on uh, on Thursday. Final home game of the season was Thursday. They now go on the road for three before the playoffs start. They'll be in Colorado this weekend. Those games don't matter. Um, they'll be locked into the number three seed. Um, Texas looking like the likely AL West winner, but Seattle wins last night against Texas, so that's still kind of in flux. If you had to guess right now, you'd say Houston would be the Twins' playoff opponent, but a lot still to be determined this weekend with those teams still playing a few more games and Texas still playing against Seattle and Seattle having a chance if they are able to win those last three to perhaps win the division and shake up everything over there. So still some things to be sorted out there. Hopefully we'll know sooner rather than later who the Twins' playoff opponent is. We'll know at least by Sunday, and then the playoffs start on Tuesday. And like I said, Lions establishing dominance in the NFC North. I watched a lot of that game. It wasn't just the final score. They just looked a lot better than the Packers. They certainly look a lot better than the Vikings. I was struck by a Jared Goff quote after the game where he said, we feel like we can beat anyone. They look like they can beat anyone, and the Vikings right now look like they can lose to anyone. We'll see if the Vikings can get better against uh, the Panthers this weekend. Man, if that Chargers game, if that wasn't a referendum on the season, this uh, this Panthers game is. If they are not able to win in Carolina and go to 0-4, every single piece of chatter will pick up. If they are able to win, you can start thinking about, hey, maybe they can figure out this season, salvage it. So this is a big one. They're all big in the NFL, but this one feels particularly big because of where they're at right now. That will do it for me. Like I said, Tons of stuff coming up next week. There's going to be eight or nine shows next week. Get your ears ready. I'll have all the content for you. Until then, I'm Michael Rand, back at it again on Monday.